Thank you, sir. All right, um, a little bit of confession. The healthy potluck idea was my idea. <laughs> yeah. Another confession, I won't be here for it. <laughs> I will actually be in Texas taking care of my mom eating Tex-Mex. But it's fine. It's fine. Healthy is a spectrum of ideas. All right? So I'll just leave that there. Uh, my name is Fred. I, I do get to be the lead pastor here. I do have one other thing uh, that I want to update y'all on. Um, maybe in November, early December, uh, we had talked about in January we were going to do a special little series. Do y'all remember what we said we were going to do? Speaking of potluck, do you remember? Fasting. Do you remember? Here's what's interesting. This is the last Sunday in January, and not one of y'all have reminded me of that. <laughs> I think the response to the healthy potluck shows me why. Right? Like, like, but here's, here's what we did. I want to update you on why we have pushed that back. Um, also, about that same time, if you remember in the fall, I talked about uh, a, a series on identity. And I asked y'all if that would be something you would be interested in. And the response was pretty favorable in that. So here's what we decided to do. Um, we are going to do a series on identity starting Easter Sunday, starting with the resurrection. Because that's where our identity in Christ is anchored, is in the resurrection. We're going to do a series on our identity in Jesus. Um, and then during the summer, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Because based on that identity in Jesus, it really is Jesus talking about how the kingdom of God works. Like, what is the baseline economy in the kingdom of God? We're going to do the Sermon on the Mount during the summer, and then in the fall, based on identity, based on how the kingdom of God works, we're going to talk about the rhythms of life as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus. And so in the fall, that, in, with the rhythms, that's when we're going to talk about fasting. Now, that is the plan as of 1023 on Sunday, January, what's today, 28th. So that plan is always open for change, but at least that's what's on the schedule, particularly starting identity in Easter. And the reason we're doing First John now, uh, one, is practically because it fit between now and Easter. There's that. Uh, but two, one of the things that I love about the book of First John is that it is, in many ways, it speaks to the culture of who we are as a church. And so as we go through this series, you're going to hear us saying some things that just speak to the things that we resonate with here at Fellowship. And so, so, so it's not just because it fits, but it's also because it's an opportunity for us to continue to kind of hone in on who we are as a church. And in particularly, one of the things that First John does in starting this series, and we're calling it Learning to Love, uh, because here's what here's what 1 John does. 1 John is written uh, to connect, right, the disconnected parts of our life to the truth of Jesus. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute because what, what John is doing is he is writing, uh, th this letter is received to those uh, because they know about God's love, right, but they struggle with loving their neighbor, right? They would answer all the questions right in a theology test, but when it came to caring for the people right next door to them, they didn't believe those two things were connected. And it even got to the point where they believed in God, but they wondered if a belief in Jesus really mattered. And, and here's what's interesting. As I've, I've been studying this book, you know, I was like, gosh, 
was that a hard sell to the church in churches that John was writing to? Was it a hard sell for them to disconnect the things they believed from the things they did? And then I just started like reflecting on my life, reflecting on the lives of those who follow Jesus in the culture today. And, 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 and you know, I, I thought about somebody was teaching them that it's okay to love God, but you don't need to love your neighbor. It's okay to believe in God, but you don't need to have this experience with Jesus. You don't need to have this, this experience with the Holy Spirit. Someone taught them that it was okay to have this con- disconnected life from their belief and their actions. And, and I just kept thinking, did they resist this idea? And here's the deal, I don't think they did. And the reason I don't think they did is because we don't either. In many areas of our life, our faith is disconnected from our actions. And and, in reality, we probably all have many places in our lives that are disconnected from our beliefs. For example, we all know, right, that God loves everyone, right? Do y'all believe that? Well, are there people in your heart that you hate? Are there people in your heart that you don't want to show loving kindness to? Are there people in your heart that you gossip about, that you slander? And we call it all kinds of things. We call it venting, you know. But Jesus is in the room with us. See, y'all got real quiet, didn't you? (laughs) I'm not done. What about this one? What about this one? We know that God hates the exploitation of his creation, as in the sin of human trafficking, right? Would anybody say human trafficking is God's plan for the world? And yet, when you look at the statistics of how many men and women struggle with pornography, knowing full well it's what funds this evil practice, See, it wasn't a hard sell for them because it's not a hard sell for us. We all too easily disconnect what we believe from what we do. And because of this, here's what I've been praying for as we enter this series and particularly as we enter this, this, this sermon to, to, today. I, I pray that we will leave this space with more connection between our faith and our actions than we walked in. And y'all hear me, like, even, even if it's just a little, like, even if it's just a little, that brings Jesus glory, right? Even if it is a whole lot, that brings Jesus glory. But my prayer is that we leave here with a more connected faith to our actions. And so with that, you can turn to 1 John. We're going we're gonna to look at the first four verses. Um, uh, John is the apostle who wrote this, the disciple of Jesus. Uh, he also wrote the Gospel of John. As I was talking to Wilson, G- G- uh, he was saying, hey, just, you know, don't get confused because even though this is 1 John, it's actually the second letter that John wrote, but it's the first of the three, uh, really of the four that he wrote. So, so it's called 1 John. There's two more after 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, but this is the first one uh, that he wrote. And here's, here's when he wrote it. He wrote it when he was later in his life and ministry. He was actually living in Ephesus. Ephesus, living right outside of Ephesus up in the mountains. And the church that he's writing to is in trouble. And it's a unique kind of trouble because, because like when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, like they were like in soap opera trouble, 
right? Like, like it, was, it was all kinds of messed up there. John's writing to a church where their trouble isn't this deeply obvious immoral trouble like in Corinthians. It is much more this, this, this evil, that's the sin that starts in their head and doesn't quite go all the way to their heart and hands, right? And so he's writing to correct that. He's writing to, to realign the, the things that they do, align them to the things that they believe, right? Because like I said, there's this problem with this disconnected life. They separated what they knew from, from what they did. They separated from the truth of God's word, the, the truth of Jesus and the gospel from their actions. What they believed didn't match what they did. And the way they got this way is because in the ancient church, what would happen is that various pastors would come along and teach. Like, like you know, you have, you have me, you have Matt, we stand up, we teach, we're pretty consistent in, 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 in our teaching. But in the ancient church, that wasn't necessarily the way. In the ancient church, they had people that would just come in and stand up and say, I have a word from the Lord, and they would preach. And, and I've actually been to churches like that. I went to a church one time in Russia, and they had four people stand up and each give at least an hour-long sermon. yes. Yes, in Russian. <laughs> it was long, and I asked the, the, the leadership of the church, I was like, is this normal? And they said, yeah, this is, this, is the way, this is the way we do it, because they didn't have a trained pastor. Like, we are so blessed to have seminaries that equip and train men and women to teach the Word of God. In the ancient church, they, they, they didn't have that. And so these various pe- preachers were standing up and, and they were talking about all kinds of disconnecting. They were, they were talking about a disconnected Jesus, that he was spirit, but he wasn't body, right? And that's how he could do the things that he did, right? They were teaching about this disconnected faith that you can believe a truth in God like in, in, and walk around like, oh, I'm hashtag blessed. Oh, praise Jesus. But you didn't actually have to do anything. Other than that, that your Monday could look very different than your Sunday and that that was okay. You see, and as they were teaching these messages, it caused all kinds of disconnection and confusion. And it caused confusion because here's the problem with confusion, right? In times of confusion, we ask the wrong questions, don't we? In times of confusion, when we're getting our, our data points, when we're getting our information from people that aren't centered in the truth of God's word, it gives us all kinds of wrong questions. Because if you have wrong data, you have wrong questions. And if you're asking the wrong questions, guess what else you end up with? The wrong answers. And that's what, that's what was happening in their church. And their confusion got so great, it led them to ask this question, which John addresses. And maybe you've asked this question too, and it's this question, does this Jesus thing really work for me? Right? Like, I'm comfortable with this belief in God, but Jesus, I don't know how all this works. Right? Maybe the question is, am I really a follower of Jesus? I was talking to a, to a friend, and, and she said that when she became a Christian, she asked Jesus into her heart. She walked down the aisle. She raised her hand to say yes to Jesus at least 10 different times. And I asked her why, and she goes, I just wanted to make sure it stuck. Right? And many of us have been in that. Like, like we live in this experience of where we believe one thing on Sunday, then Monday hits, and our reaction is completely different. We're like, gosh, is this even working? Have you ever felt this type of disconnection? Have you ever struggled between what you know and what you do? Have you ever heard of deconstructing your faith? 
Like this is what they had done and they had deconstructed it to the point that it wasn't the gospel anymore. And if this is you, you're not alone. That's what this book of 1 John addresses. And and we know this because in 1 John 5.13, which we will get to, but but 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And so this book is written, this is kind of like the theme verse for 1 John, right? This book is written to those who believe in the gospel. And believe means to place your confidence in. If there was a chair up here, I could, I could, I could know the chair, but believe in it means to place my confidence in it, that I sit down in it because it is a chair, right? And this book is written to those who have placed their confidence in Jesus. And simply put, it's written to those right, who have this confidence in the gospel, at least they did at one time until these pastors came in and taught them an error. And that gospel is that long ago in humanity that, that, that we, being embodied in, in Adam and Eve, had this good and right and intimate relationship with the God who loved us, who created us, and who made us. And then sin entered that relationship. And those who were created wanted to be on the same level with the creator. And it messed up the relationship, right? No longer was there that depth of intimacy. No longer was there there that depth of, of personal, intimate connection. But then fast forward to Jesus. And he restored that relationship through his death and his resurrection he restored that relationship with God to the point to where he said, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, like I am the way and the truth and the light to the Father. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that is our gospel. That is the gospel that when we say yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to this relationship that is good and that is personal and that is intimate with the God who created us and loved us. And these people had, had placed their, 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 their belief in that. As a matter of fact, that gospel doesn't stop there. It's actually amplified because not only do we get this relationship with God, we actually get the Holy Spirit living in us. The Spirit of God lives in us as a group, as a church, and lives in us as individuals that we get to know God deep in our soul. Right As he leads us and guides us and empowers us until we either meet Jesus in death or until he returns. But here's what John said to those who had believed that. Because many in this room, you believe that. But he said, in the rest of 1 John 5.13, he said, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, know is a completely different word. Because know means to experience something, right? It means you don't only understand a concept, like you believe it to be true. It means you have experienced it. You, you see it. You touch it. You know it. You smell it. It means that, that it has connected your belief to your experience. For example, how many of you have been to the state fair when it comes to the Ag Center on the south side of town? Y'all, have y'all been? I have never been. I have been to many state fairs. Well, I've been to the Texas State Fair many times when I was growing up. I actually don't think I've been to another state fair. But, but I have not been to the, to the state fair when it comes to the Ag Center. But here's the deal. I believe that it exists. I believe that every year it's there. But I don't know it. Like, raise your hand if you've been. Okay, what does it smell like? 
when you walk in? Huh? Funnel cake. It smells like fried food, doesn't it? Like, I know what fried food smells like. I don't know what it smells like. See, you know it. That's the difference. You've experienced it. I haven't. I'm disconnected. My belief and my knowledge of the state fair are disconnected. You know what funnel cake smells like at the Ag Center. I don't. Right? John is writing them to give them this connected faith and connected life. And here we're going to see what the outcome of that can be. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. First John, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. And so, so there's something, right? Remember those words, no? It means to, it, like, like there's something that we have seen, we have heard, we have looked, and we have touched, right? There is something going on. And so what is it? Right? Concerning the word of life. Concerning the word of life. What is the word of life? Well, let's keep looking. The life was made manifest. Now, manifest, right? Manifest means that there was something that appeared to them. Something that they didn't know, but now they do. Now, who do you think John is talking about here? Who had people been waiting for when he appeared, right? Because that's what manifest means. That changed everything. Now, who do you think John could be talking about here? What's the good Sunday school answer? If you don't know the answer, what do we say? Jesus, that's right. That's the good, not that we have Sunday school, but still, like you know, like, 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 like that, that's, what the, that's what they're talking about. Look at, look at the, the, the rest of verse 2. It says, this, the life was made manifest, we have seen it. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. They saw Jesus. Now look at this, look at this. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. And so they saw him and they talked about him and they, and they told others about him and they told how Jesus was the one that brings eternal life. And so you see from the very beginning, he is reminding them of what they know and what they have seen and what they have heard. He is calling them back, not just to their belief in Jesus, but to their knowledge of Jesus, right? What they have experienced, that they know Jesus and they can know that they have eternal life. They believe in Jesus and they can believe in eternal life. But here's what we have to keep in mind, right? The church John is writing to is just like us in many ways. And here's what I mean. The church that he's writing to is nowhere near Jerusalem. It's nowhere near where Jesus was crucified and where he was resurrected, where Jesus did his, his earthly ministry. And so, so all this see and hear and touch language isn't about the person Jesus, that walked on earth and was crucified and resurrected. Now, some of them may have done that, but many of them, most people in ancient times didn't travel more than like a mile from their village. Like it was all this very centric thing. The Roman roads helped that, but that was usually traders uh, and, and people trading goods and services that used the, the Roman roads and, and, and went from village to village. And so most people, the place they were born was the place they died. Right? And so all these see, hear, and touch about Jesus, it's about the gospel made manifest to them. 
that Jesus is the gospel. When we see Jesus, we see the, the way to God. And what did this gospel do in and among them that was so real that they could see, hear, and taste it? Look at, look at verse 3. It says, verse 3, that we which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. Right? So all of this seeing and, and hearing and touching about the gospel was, was, was seen and heard in this tangible expression of the church being the church. It's one of the things I love to say. I say it in, when I write the update. I say it when I write the financial update. I say it when I'm up here that I love being the church with you. I love when we get to gather together as a fellowship, when we get to, to, to go out as a church. I love this tangible expression of the church. And so John is, is, is writing that too. He's writing that the fellowship they experience together, the togetherness, the community, the getting together, that there they experience and they heard and they saw and they felt the gospel lived out among them. That when we gather together around the gospel, we experience the gospel to be true. Right? When we come in here and, and, and sit down together and get to know the people around us, when we, when we, when we linger after the service and say, hey, how, how are you really doing? How is this thing that you told me about last week? Like, like we get to experience this level of community where we see and hear and, and get to touch the gospel. And so from the very beginning of this letter, one of the ways that John is going to show us how to live a connected life is by being connected to the church. Right, that a connected life is connected to the church. And here's why this is important. Church statistics uh, have gone crazy lately. Like particularly when you're looking at attendance, that people are attending church less often. You know, that people that seven years ago would come every Sunday you know, anytime the doors were open, they were here. Even, even those people are coming like three Sundays a month. People that used to come two Sundays a month are coming one Sunday a month. People that come one Sunday a month are coming maybe one every six to eight weeks. Or maybe they've moved to the, to the CEOs. Do you know what CEOs in church are? Christmas and Easter onlys? Right? Right? And that was all before COVID. Y'all know during COVID, 30% of church attendance went down across the board and hasn't come back. And I'm not talking about fellowship. I'm talking about, about nationwide. 30% of people left the church during COVID and never came back. Right? Now, there's lots of reasons for this decline in attendance. Like, I remember even when I was a kid, Sunday was, was kind of off limits for school stuff. It was off limits. I mean, I grew up even during what was called the blue laws. If y'all remember those, like stores were closed on Sundays. Or if the grocery store was open, there was plastic sheeting over stuff that you couldn't buy on Sundays. Like the culture allowed people to attend church. Now that's not the case as much anymore. We've got kids sports. We've got people working longer hours in many ways. And so they're working on the weekends or they're not working on the weekend and finally have some time with kids. And, and like I get this. Like, like I know many of you have kids in sports and Sunday is like your only day where maybe you have one game and not four. Right? 
And, and I get it. Like getting up and getting here can, can be a hassle. And, and, and I get it. And my intention is not to judge church attendance. That is not who we are as a church. We are genuinely glad anytime that you are here. And what's crazy is most churches have like an 80-20% ratio that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the volunteer work. Like at our church, that's just simply not the case. We've got some 80, almost 90% of, of those who call fellowship home are actively involved in the church at some level, volunteering, giving themselves away. Y'all, that is incredible. I am not judging attendance or engagement. I'm telling you why this is important for our, for our culture and why this may be important for us. My intent here is to say that when we miss gathering together, for whatever reason, we miss a unique expression of the gospel that can only be experienced here. And we all experienced it during COVID, right? Like, did you feel a disconnect watching online? You just do. And online is great. And by God's grace, it's not going anywhere anytime soon because it's a great on-ramp for people. But it's different, isn't it? It's different than sitting here in this room and hearing people sing. Like, one of my favorite things about sitting up front, one, I'm ADD, and so if I sit up front, I can actually pay attention. But two, is sitting up here, I can hear you singing over the congregation. And it is the most beautiful sound. And, and unless you have a studio, y'all, I'm sorry, unless you have a studio, online worship does not sound good. I call it the American Idol effect, that, that if you're watching American Idol and the crowd's going crazy and you're like, that does not sound good. <laughs> you realize there's something happening in the room that isn't translating to the screen, right? There's something wonderful when we get together. And that's what John is saying. Remember, remember when we got together and, and experienced the gospel together. It is this unique expression and John here is saying, if you feel a disconnection in your faith, this is the place to get that disconnection connected. Right? But there's another connection that's present here. I need to pick up the pace. All right. All right. The rest of verse 3. It says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so... A connected life is connected to Jesus, right? Being connected here is great. That's one level of disconnection that can get reconnected. But the ultimate disconnection is connecting with Jesus. That John is saying, remember, guys, like, it is through Jesus that we come to God. That we are connected to Jesus to be connected to God. And he's showing us He's showing us to connect with Jesus' people, the church, but we also must be connected with Jesus, that this is the core of a connected life. And maybe this is what you need today. Maybe today is the day that you need to place your confidence in Jesus, that he needs to be the chair that you sit in for your salvation, not your own efforts, not your own works. And maybe as I talked about humanity, and I talked about being disconnected with God and being connected with God again through Jesus, maybe that moved something in you. And if so, that, that movement in your soul is the same one that the guys on the road to Emmaus said when they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? Right? And so maybe today is the day for you to get connected to Jesus. 
I was having lunch with a guy this week who was brand new in the faith, and I got to hear his story of being connected to Jesus and saying yes to Jesus. And what he said is something that I've heard quite a few times in different people's story of faith, uh, but it always just, it's just amazing every time I hear it, because he said, when, when I realized that Jesus' love was for me, that Jesus' death and resurrection was for me. Yes, for everyone, but it was for me. That changed things. And that was the moment that he said yes to Jesus. Right? He realized that Jesus died for him, that being connected to Jesus is what has changed him and is changing him. And maybe you've already done this, and if so... That same gospel of being connected to Jesus gives you freedom and hope to connect those places that are disconnected. Because let me show you the result of a connected life. Verse 4. Verse 4 says this, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, how many of you in your translation have a different word for instead of our joy, does it say your joy? Anybody? Yeah. Great. Here's the point. The point is that joy is the result. Right? Because in the translation, like, like, they're not sure. Is it our joy? Is it John writing? Like, oh gosh, when you, when you guys live this connected life, connected your, your faith to your beliefs, like it brings us joy? Yeah, like as a pastor, like I love seeing that. I love seeing light bulbs turn on and seeing people repent of, of sinful and bad behavior, sinful and unhealthy behavior, and, and moving towards healthy, righteous behavior. Like, yes, that gives me a whole lot of joy. But you know what else happens when you do that, guess what? It gives you joy because you're living life the way God intended. And y'all, joy can look different in different circumstances. Sometimes joy means flat out happiness. It means giddiness. It means, it means, it means we can look at the life ahead of us and we can laugh because we have faith in God. We can look at the life behind us and we can laugh because we trusted in God's plan. But it also means this quiet contentment in times of trouble. That is also the joy of the Lord. And what, what John is saying that is that no matter what your joy looks like in Jesus, that is the result of trusting in Jesus. That he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. That's what Proverbs says. And so a connected life is a joyful life. Right? When your head and heart are connected, joy is the evidence. And joy looks different in different circumstances, like I said, but joy is one of the evidences. So let me ask you, where are your disconnections between your faith and your life? Right? If, you, if you're like me, here's where those disconnections show themselves. Anxiety. You know what I woke up this morning worrying about? Like, when I get old, will I have insurance? Isn't that silly? I mean, some of you are like, oh, I thought you were old. No. <laughs> no, I'm not. And yes, I do have insurance, but no, I'm not. I mean, like, when I'm 80, a, a friend of mine, his father just passed away. And so, so, you know, it just got me thinking about later years. And that's what I thought about when I woke up. And I was like, oh, gosh, well, I have, how will that work out? Like, I, you know, that's silly. But it's anxiety. Sometimes it looks like fear. 
right? There's this disconnection. And in that verse that I quoted from Proverbs about he who trusts in the Lord will prosper was just from my time with the Lord this morning. And, and when I read it in Proverbs, I was like, yeah, that's what I needed. I needed to be reminded to trust in the Lord. If he's got me when I'm 54, not old, he will have me if I get to see 80, right? What is yours? What are your triggers? Some of, some, of, some of us, it might be arrogance. Maybe we get a little haughty, right? Whatever yours is, I believe some things for you. I believe we've got some things for you. One, we've got a prayer team here that would love to pray for you. And, and I, do we have prayer team volunteers today, I hope? Great, great. Okay, a thumbs up. If you need prayer today, go to the back when we sing our last songs of worship because they'll have a little lanyard on. It says prayer team. Let them pray for you. Maybe that's your step today, just to confess your sins. Scripture says confess your sins one to another so that you will be healed. Maybe that's what you need. Right? Maybe you just need time of prayer. Join us on Wednesdays at 1130 in this room. And it is very simple. You come in, you sit down, and you pray. That's the agenda. There is nobody standing up guiding you through prayer. There is no prayer list of things that you can pray for. It is a dedicated space for you to be with Jesus. Wednesdays at 1130. Maybe you just need to keep coming to this series and keep hearing how to connect your faith and your belief to, to your actions. Or maybe you need to be in a growth group, y'all. Maybe this is the reason you don't need to be in growth group because you're not serious about this because we're going through a book by Tim Keller on idols and it'll show you where you are disconnected in your faith. In black and white, it'll show you. And you're reading it amongst a group of people that know you or will get to know you. And let me tell you, they, when you go, yeah, I don't struggle with this, they'll go, um, you might, you might, you might. And maybe you need to do that. If so, email me and I'll try to find a spot in a group for you. I will tell you, a lot of them are full and you may have to drive 30 minutes to get to a group, but it's worth it. But it's worth it. Well, let me pray for us. Jesus, um, uh, we love you. And, and it really is a joy being here together today to worship, to sing, to, 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 to be able to, to put our arms around each other, to be able to pray together. And so God... I pray you give us more of this. Give us more sweet fellowship around the gospel. I pray for people to come to know you as their Savior. In Christ's name I pray, amen.